And Isaiah 38, please. Isaiah chapter 38, if you would. Isaiah chapter 38. Thank you for being here tonight. Look around you. If your neighbor doesn't have a Bible, be kind enough to share your Bible with him, please, tonight. Isaiah chapter 38, as folks are making their way in. Isaiah chapter 38. Why don't you do me a favor as you make your way out. We have several thousand of these flyers still for, for the music outreach. Please grab some. Please give those out. Invite people to come. Secure some commitments. This is one of those easier opportunities to get someone committed to coming. And you can just say something like this. Would you just come and give me give me from 530 to about 7 o'clock and come. And we will be a blessing to you. All you got to do is come. Find a seat. And let us encourage you through this. And they'll be greatly encouraged. So you help us with that. And I know that the Lord will bless that greatly. Isaiah 38 follows. I read verse 1, please. In those days... Was Hezekiah sick unto death? And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came unto him, and he said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. And Hezekiah turned his face towards the wall, and he prayed unto the Lord. And he said, Remember now, O Lord, I beseech thee, how I have walked before thee in truth, and with a perfect heart, and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. Would you notice how traumatizing the announcement of the prophet Hezekiah was to uh, the prophet Isaiah was to, to Hezekiah there in verse one? It wasn't the message he expected to hear. And you'll notice in verses three, two and three, we have the record of this dying man's last wish. And I want us to focus tonight on just that thought, a dying man's last wish. If God came to you through a prophet of God and told you to set your house in order because you're about to die, what would you do? If you knew you only had 24 hours to live, what would you do with those remaining 24 hours? Let's pray tonight that God would stir our hearts and help us to see what this man did that we might learn from it and be encouraged in our Christian faith. Bless your word tonight, Lord. Sanctify thy people through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Lord, I pray tonight that you'd cleanse us from filthiness to flesh, superfluity of naughtiness, selfish ambitions, perhaps a day of temperamentalness. And Lord, tonight, as you cleanse us, we pray that, Lord, you help us to receive the engrafted word with meekness this evening. So often, God, we get around the Bible and we can be critical and pick faults and find something contentious, miss the whole essence of what God you want us to hear. And remind us tonight what you said in Hebrews, that we are to give the earnest heed to the things which we hear, lest at any time we let them slip. And I pray tonight that, Lord, you help us give earnest heed, because the Bible says, how should we escape if we neglect so great salvation? And tonight we pray for this service and for our UC Berkeley Bible study tonight. We pray for the visitors that have committed to come. I pray you bless that. I pray that you use the Bible study lesson there tonight to saving souls. And God, I pray for something to break out. I pray for UC Berkeley, 50,000 students. We pray for students to be saved. We pray that, God, you'd help our church to have something that get established on that campus and reaching students for your glory. Bless tonight, Lord, you know in this congregation, your people here tonight, those watching by live stream, there are many burdens and heavy hearts, and we're asking you tonight that burdens will be lifted at Calvary. Bless our service, we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. A man was telling his friend, he said, My grandfather predicted in advance the very year in which he was going to die. He said, what's more, he knew the exact month, he knew the precise day, even the time of day he was supposed to die, and when the day came, it happened. And his friend who he's talking to says, that's amazing. How did he know all that? And the man responded, the judge told him that. And, uh, you know, I, I think when we think of it in a humorous way, that, you know, that we, none of us know, none of us know how many days we have left in this life. The Bible tells us in the book of Psalms that, uh, you know, the, the Moses praying that the Lord gives us three score and ten years or seventy years and anything after seventy years is bonus. But the truth of the matter is we just don't really know how long we're going to live. And tonight we're looking at a man who is the prime of his life. He's 39 years of age and has given an announcement that his life was going to end. 
I want you to notice by way of review this evening, we're studying the life of Hezekiah. This is the third part of four parts in the life of Hezekiah. Hezekiah's name means Jehovah strengthens. As we go through study, we're seeing how God or Jehovah strengthens him at critical points of his life. In our first study two weeks ago, we saw how Jehovah strengthened Hezekiah against apostasy and sin. His great need as he came to the, he came to the throne that very first week, that very first month, was to set in order the house of God. He had to get God's house reopened. In our second study, which was last week, we saw how Jehovah strengthened Hezekiah against attack and when you're surrounded. Great trial that he had. They, uh, they had to deal with the, with the attack. From the great, the great uh, national power, world power at that time, the country of Assyria, the Assyrians came into town and surrounded the city of Jerusalem. And uh, we know that, he, that uh, there was a minimum of 185,000 soldiers that were down there just outside the gates of Jerusalem. And God intervened as Hezekiah prayed. And this it was not something that happened just overnight. It was over several days, maybe over several weeks that this transpired. And we find that Hezekiah goes to prayer before God. And we saw the conditions by which God answers prayer. Tonight we see this third occasion where Jehovah strengthens. The first one, as I said, was how God strengthened Hezekiah against apostasy. The second one was how God strengthened Hezekiah against attack. Tonight we're going to see how God strengthens Hezekiah against ailment or sickness. And it was a terminal ailment. It was a terminal sickness. We're going to see tonight how God leads his people to pray. Now, a lot of times as we think about sickness and illness, you know, there's a lot of fears that come. When it's a grave one, when the doctor gives us that look and says, uh, you need to come back or we need further tests. And of course, it causes concern. And for many of us, we may not express this way, but we feel like the bottom's dropped out under us. We feel like our heart has sunken inside of us. And it's kind of interesting by the providence of God as we're looking at the study tonight, we're doing it in the midst of three people somehow connected or associated to our church who we're having great trial by sickness, two for cancer surgery and one who's at the top of his skull removed and is waiting for brain surgery. All of them are serious surgeries. Anytime you're having to deal with something of that nature, it's very frightening. And, it, and you know, when we consider while we're in good health and think, well, thank you, know, we just and pray for that person. But when it's our need in our situation, we earnestly want people to pray for us. And we earnestly want to be able to get a hold of God and know that God is there. Health trials and illness trials weigh heavily on us. Our human nature wants to hear good news from the doctor. We want to know when the blood test result comes back that everything's in check. And when it's not in check, we're concerned. When we have a health trial, our human nature wants to feel well and not sick. When, our, when we have a health trial, a human nature would rather live longer than, than, than shorter. I mean, that's just how we are. We enjoy life. We savor life. If you've got young children, you don't fathom the thought of leaving your young children. You want to be with your children. If you're married, you know, each year as you get married, you want each year to be sweeter and you want to be long, stay, you want to be married longer to your spouse. I mean, you think of all those things. I think about being in a church or something to be said, for somebody who's been in church for 19 years and plans to be here for another 20 years. I mean, there ought to be the spirit in us that's saying, as God gives me breath, I want to stay there. I want to get the most out of it. But tonight, as a faithful attendee of, of Heritage Baptist Church, I want to ask you this sobering question. If tonight was your last day on earth, how would you live it? You know, we say almost with our eyes closed when we go soul winning, as we get past the chit-chat with the sinner, we'll get to draw them into that, that conversation. We ask that, 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 that leading question. We ask them, if, if, today, if you were to die today, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? Or I like to ask them, what percentage are you sure that you're going to heaven? I mean, we ask them that question. and We don't mean to stump the person, but really that's, a, that's, a, that's an important question to know, to have an answer to. If you were to die today, how do you know how, much, how, how sure are you that you're going to heaven? But as a Christian, we must ask ourselves this question tonight. If today I was to leave this life, if God was to take me home, or God told me I only had 24 hours to live, how would I live the remainder of my life? What would you ask God for? If you could ask God one thing, if you knew that your life was going to end, what would be the one thing that you would ask God for? And we're going to look at this life of Hezekiah. And tonight we're going to see a dying man's last wish. Notice three things about this passage tonight. First of all, notice in verse 1 we see Hezekiah in his crisis. Now Hezekiah was a man that was very familiar with crisis. When he came to the throne, he had to deal with a spiritual crisis. His father closed up the house of God. His father brought more idolatry in. 
His father polluted the house of God. He brought filthy things in. He had all this junk that was in the house of God. I mean, the, the sin offerings and the burnt offerings and, and the Passover and all the things they did ceremonially had been stopped. I mean, what would you do? You're the son coming to the throne. You're dealing with this great spiritual crisis. People have got these groves of trees where they're worshiping their idols. I mean, what would you do? And Hezekiah did something even to looking as it would be disrespectful to his father. He went in. He didn't give any attention to his father, but he addressed everything that his father did wrong. And he straightened out things in the house of God. He said, it doesn't matter. It's my father. It doesn't matter. It's my grandfather. One thing's clear. We've got to open back up the house of God. And he did. Aren't you glad about that tonight? Amen. He opened up the house of God. He told the Levites, clean up your act. Hey, you know what? Sometimes thank God for a man of God who sometimes will tell me no matter who we are, that we need to clean up our act. Amen. And he told those Levites, he told those priests, you've got to sanctify yourselves. You've got to get clean and you've got to get your heart right. I mean, let's not, let's not, hey, brethren, let's not go to meetings and let's not, let's not be pretentious and act like everything's good. Sometimes maybe the preacher has to step up and say, look, guys, we need to sanctify our lives tonight. If revival is going to come, judgment's begin in the house of God. And let's not think that we're so holier than everybody else and realize we need to be like that publican who smote his breast and God say, Lord, have mercy on me. And so he went in there and he dealt with the spiritual crisis. He met it head on. And the Bible says that his heart was perfect above all the kings before him and after him. And he did what was right. And he dealt with that spiritual crisis as well. Listen, when there's a spiritual crisis, there's only one thing to do. You've got to deal with it and you've got to deal with it well. Secondly, he had another crisis. We saw that last week. He went from a spiritual crisis to now 14 years, 13 years later in his 14th year. He's dealing with a national crisis. The national crisis he's dealing with there is this great, this great conquering power known as the Assyrians. The Assyrians were conquering nation after nation. And the country they had just recently devastated was the Syrian, the Syrians, which were north of, Israel, of, of Jerusalem there. And they had taken them. And we saw last time that, that uh, boastfully the, the king of uh, Assyria was boasting of these cities of, of Syria that he had taken. And they were taking city after city after city. And they were trembling. And everybody in their path was worried and concerned. I wonder if they're, what they're, when we're next and eventually the day came when Jerusalem was next and he was studying their water ducts and he said I'm going to I'm going to close up their aqueducts and their waterways and I'm going to close those up and I'm going to attack them and of course Hezekiah received this letter that threateningly told him don't put your trust in your God and don't put your trust in Egypt and don't put your trust in this and he told those em- the ambassadors from, from Jerusalem he says don't, if whatever Hezekiah tells you don't believe that his God your God is dead your God is not alive and so this Assyrian God this Assyrian man was blaspheming the God of Israel and the God of Jerusalem and all that. And listen, I, it, it, when he started off, Hezekiah was about this big. By the time the guy started to stop talking, Hezekiah felt about this big. He took that letter. He laid it out before God. He took that letter. He got up, went to the house of God. He took it. He laid it down. Got his face. He prayed before God. He prayed one of the great prayers of the Bible to ask God to do something. Now, I said earlier, I believe that this trial that he had with this national crisis was not something that happened overnight. I believe it was over several weeks, maybe even over a couple months that this transpired. I I want to tell you that man sweat a lot of bullets during that during that ensuing time he was in consternation he had a lot of sleepless nights he probably had a lot of days he didn't eat he was he was fretting himself over the situation until the day that he laid it out before god and god came down and met with him and god answered his prayer and god sent an angel that night and 185,000 assyrians were taken out that's in the 14th year of this king Hezekiah. do you notice chapter 38 verse 1 he's still in the 14th year of his reign he's at the halfway mark of his reign because he would go on and he would he would reign until he's age 54. At age 39, we'll see later on, God gives him 15 more years. But he's age 39. He's at the halfway mark. He's at 14 years. Here's a man who's been under incredible stress. Here's a man who's been under incredible duress. Here's a man who's been all stressed out by things. And the Bible tells us that he goes from a spiritual crisis and from a national crisis. Notice verse 1. He's now dealing with something that's close to home. He's dealing with a health crisis. Now, there's a lot of crises you're going to have in your life and I'm going to have in my life. But the most trying crisis anybody's ever going to have is when a health crisis comes. When you have a diagnosis that they're not sure what to do, when you have a diagnosis that's going to require more than surgery, when you have a diagnosis where the statistical data that's out there suggests that you're not going to make it, then when a health crisis comes, it gets our attention. There's something about a health crisis that is a wake-up call. Now, let me tell you tonight, I don't care what kind of vitamins you take, 
I don't care what kind of concoction you drink. I don't care what kind of exercise you do and how healthy you eat. The days you can do all that, it may prolong your life, but you're still going to die. It's appointed a man once to die, and after this is the, is the judgment. And so when we look at this chapter here, notice this man is in a crisis. The Bible says, in those days, Hezekiah was sick unto death. Notice this crisis was unpredictable. Here's this man in the previous chapter praying down the power of God. Praying for God to do something great. And one of the great acts of God is God sending that angel and defeating 185,000 Assyrian soldiers without Hezekiah to send one soldier out there. And listen, he's, he's accomplished all that. But now we find just maybe a few days, a few weeks later, in those days, just right after what happened there, in those days, Hezekiah was sick unto death. He's 39 years old. 39-year-old men are supposed to be the prime of health. They're supposed to be healthy and robust and strong. Hezekiah was sick. He didn't see it coming. His He describes his condition. Notice verse 12. He says, Mine age is departed and is removed from me as a shepherd's tent. I have cut off, I have cut off like a weaver in my life. Notice, he will cut me off with pining sickness. He describes in those later verses in this record, this diary that he makes. That he describes his situation as pining or wasting away. He has a pining sickness. He says, man, I'm feeling it. He started off getting sick. And you know how it was. He started feeling this, this terrible feeling. And he just didn't feel well. And he started noticing something was growing in his abdomen. Because we know later on, the Bible calls it a boil. I believe it was a cancerous tumor that he had. He noticed in his abdomen there was this, this boil that was coming. And it was growing out of his, out of his stomach there. And he started to realize he was getting more fatigued. He was getting more tired easily. Just to walk from here to the chair over there, he was feeling fatigued. He started realizing that he didn't have an appetite. He had sleepless nights. He wasn't eating, wasn't sleeping. And then before long, people started whispering, noticing. He started to look gaunt. He was languishing. He looked very deathly ill. He had to cancel meetings. He couldn't do things. He got up later out of bed. He was very sickly. Prior to this, this man was well and lively. But notice in verse 1, he had this unpredictable crisis. He, this sickness got the best of him. You can be well and things can change tomorrow. You can be the life of the party, but things can change. You can be living and walking, leaping, but things will change. We see this man is in a crisis that's unpredictable. But notice in verse 1, he's in a crisis that he was unprepared for. That's one thing to get sick. But you notice what happens here? In those days, Hezekiah was sick. Notice this, unto death. And Isaiah, who had just been with him, who prayed with him for their deliverance. Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came unto him. It wasn't the doctor that came to him. It wasn't the leading surgeon from Mayo Clinic that came to him. It wasn't a researcher from UCSF Medical Center that came to him. It wasn't a billionaire who started, who started companies that are, that are committed to helping find a cure for cancer that came to him. It's a prophet of God that came to him. And by the way, let me just say this tonight. After the doctor, you've seen the doctor, you need to hear from the prophet of God. Now imagine as Isaiah walked in that room. Isaiah is laying on a bed. We know that from this passage. He's languishing. 39-year-old man in bed, sick and languishing. He's pretty sick. Gaunt, fainting, pale, dehydrated. The prophet Isaiah walks in that room. And I imagine because the closeness of the friendship and the respect and, uh, that, that, uh, that uh, Hezekiah had for Isaiah, he looked up and there was a glimmer of hope in his eyes. He's hoping, man, God sent his man to me. I'm, I'm praying that God has a good word for me. I'm praying. I, I think he was optimistic and thinking of the moment. I hope he's come to tell me that I'm going to get well. I, I think he's come to tell me that I'm going to get well and I'm going to get better. And this, this growth, whatever I've got in my stomach, is it's going to go away. I'm, I'm praying that's what he's going to tell me. And notice Isaiah the prophet comes to him and he says, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. was unprepared. He wasn't ready to die. The prime age of 39, he was facing the reality of his mortality. Job said, our days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. Job 7, 6. 
David said all our days on earth are as a shadow. First Chronicles 29, 15. James said our life is a vapor that appeareth for just a little time. James 4, 14. More to reality, the death is inevitable. I know in certain cultures it's bad to talk about death. We don't want to deal with death. I understand. But someone said this very wisely. You're not ready to live until you're ready to die. He was unprepared. I've been in many doctor's offices. I've gone with a lot of church members to specialist visits. I've seen members bite their lips. I've had members hold my arm like this until their knuckles are white. I've studied MRIs, CT scans with the specialists. I've seen entire organs filled with cancerous tumors. I've seen x-rays. And I've watched church members as expression in their faces have gone from colorful to pale. And the doctors searching for words that would be somewhat comforting, but not glossing over it, there was a problem. God sent Isaiah the prophet, who was probably the only one who could have said what was said, to help this man understand, he was in a crisis. This crisis was unpredictable. He was unprepared for the crisis. But notice again, verse 1, something else that's a little bit bothersome. Would you notice this tonight? He was unprepared for this crisis. But would you notice this in verse 1? He was unpresentable in this crisis. He said, Thus saith the Lord thy God. Set thine house in order. Would you notice God never makes a mistake in the order of how He says things? He didn't say you're going to die, set your house in order. He said, set thy house in order, thou shalt die and not live. He was telling Hezekiah, Hezekiah, you've done some great things. Hezekiah, you cleaned up the house of God and you reopened God the doors. He said, Hezekiah, you did some good things there. You started the Passover back up and you did this thing. You did this thing spontaneously and, and you got the people to worship and worship God. And you didn't let a schedule dictate you. You just decided we're just going to worship God and honor God the way we should. You did that right. And Hezekiah, you did some right things when, when you took that letter from, from the king of Assyria. And you laid it down in the house of God and you got on your face before God. And you prayed and said, God, I need you to do something for us. I need you, God, to deliver us this situation. You've seen some things. But he said, I want to tell you something. There's some things that are not right in your life, Hezekiah. Set that house in order. You're unpresentable. You're going to stand before me, but I'm going to give you a few days. I'm not going to tell you when you're going to expire, but I'm going to tell you this. Set that house in order. You're not presentable. He was given an opportunity in those waning days to make some decisions right at that moment about his life. To make some decisions, to clean up some things, to change some things. Listen, when you hear the word, set that house in order, here are things that come to your mind. Get your bills paid up. Make sure you got a will that's up to date. And if you have to have associated trust, you get the trust with that. Get your finances in order. Get with your family and embrace them. Tell them you love them. Get with somebody that has uh, that, that you've hurt or it's hurt you and tell them you forgive them and that you love them and that you don't want to go to the grave with that stuff in your heart. Tell somebody that you've had bitterness towards. Listen, I'm sorry for that bitterness. I want to make it right. Hey, listen, if you owe God some back tithe, you better get that back tithe paid before you, you go to meet with the Lord there. I'm just saying, hey, when he says set your house in order, there's just some things you've got to get right in that period of time before it's time. Tell the people closest to you, you're sorry you made them miserable when you should have made them merry. He told him. Hezekiah, you may be the king, but set your house in order. You're not presentable. And would you notice tonight as we consider that in this crisis, 
The message has not changed. God tells us to stop for just a moment and pause. If this is your last day on planet Earth. You have 24 hours to live. One month to live. Set your house in order. What are you going to set in order? What are you going to do that you've been putting off? Who do you need to get the gospel to? Who needs to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ? How many family members do you have down in the, down to the, that, that, that you've got a list on that need to, you need to go knock on their door and go see them. And it's not about how they receive you. A lot of times we base our visits on how people receive us. It doesn't matter how they receive us. What's important, their blood is on our hands until we get to them. Sometimes we've got to cross the barrier of professionalism, realize maybe it's not professional to go over there and tell them they need to get saved. But the truth of the matter is, are you going to be professional or are you going to let their soul die and go to hell? Amen? Set your house in order. And I don't know about you, but if I was Hezekiah at that moment in time, my mind would be spinning right there. But I believe the Holy Spirit of God as He works in your conscience, regardless of what kind of conscience you've got. The Holy Spirit's going to bring some things to mind. He's going to stir up our hearts. He's going to bring some people to our minds and our faces. He's going to remind us of things we shouldn't have done and places we went to we shouldn't have gone to and words we said we shouldn't have said and things that we got we did that were wrong. He's going to bring all these things to our mind and we're going to be revolving through our mind over and over again. Set thine house in order. It's not about somebody else's house. It's not about somebody else's problems. It's not about somebody else's situation. It's about your house, your life, your family, your situation. Set your house in order, he's saying there. I was reading in Ezekiel the other day. God's just been working my heart through Ezekiel. And I got about Ezekiel 26 there. And God was talking about, listen to this phrase, the old hatred. So one of the enemies of Israel, they had an old hatred towards Israel. But I'll tell you tonight, old hatred holds back the blessings of God. Old, old hatred, you can't have sweet fellowship with God when there's old hatred. Hezekiah is at a place in his life right there, right then and there, right then and there. There's a lot of things going through his mind. God said to him, you're not presentable. Set thine house in order. We see Hezekiah and his crisis. Would you notice verses 2 and 3 now? We see his crisis. Would you notice him and his craving, his desire? I open with the question tonight. If Isaiah the prophet came to you and me, what would you do? You're a dying man. What would you ask God for? What would you ask God for? Hezekiah turned his face towards the wall and he prayed. You're in a crisis. The best thing to do is pray. You're in a crisis. The only thing you can do is pray. You're in a crisis. The only thing you should do is pray. Listen, don't go right, Ann Landers. Don't send 25 email messages, pray for me. You go pray. You pray. There comes a point in time, you've got to stop looking for handouts from people and get the mighty hand of God in your life. Amen. He's in bad shape. He can't even get out of bed without assistance. He's shaken up. Did you notice verse 3? Hezekiah prayed a great prayer in chapter 37. But the greatest prayer he ever prayed is found in one verse of Scripture. Listen to me tonight. I want you to think very carefully as we go through this prayer for just a few moments. I want you to notice the essentials in this prayer. It will help your praying and my praying when that health trial comes. He prayed the greatest prayer of his life. 
He did something he had done many times before. He prayed. He had an intimacy and closeness with God that only if you've been there, you can explain. But you notice some things as he prays this prayer in verses 2 and 3. Notice, first of all, his prayer was in secret. The Bible says Hezekiah turned his face towards the wall. Hezekiah couldn't get on his knees. Beloved, he was bedridden. He was languishing. He was dying. He was too weak to stand up on his two feet. This man was, if he tried to stand up his two feet, he would have collapsed under the weight of his body. This man was languishing. You know what he did? The secret place for him was to turn his face towards the wall where he wouldn't see anybody and nobody could see him. And as he turned his face towards the wall, that was his secret place right there in the hospital room where he turned his face. And the Bible says he prayed and turned towards God. He, God is pleased when we pray in secret. Listen to these verses. First Kings seventeen nineteen. We have the story there of the prophet Elijah and the widow woman that he's staying with at Zarephath. Her son had died of some kind of illness. And the Bible says he said unto her, give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom. Notice this. And he carried him up into a loft. Notice this. Where he abode. He took him up to that little chamber that that woman gave him. That's where his life was. His life was not at the dinner table. His life was not behind plowing oxen. And his life was not behind sitting behind a screen, clicking away, trying to figure out how much money he could make. His life was found in that chamber where he got on his face, on his knees before God. He took that boy to the only place where he knew that to, to the only person that could make a difference in his life. And he got in the familiar place where there may have been grooves on the floor by where he kneeled day after day. And where the place was where he was at, where there may have been tears that stained that floor. He got in that familiar place and there in the secrecy, there in that loft, at that borrowed loft. He prayed and the Bible says he took him to a loft where he bowed and laid him upon his bed And the Bible says he besought God three desperate times for this boy and God gave that boy back his life Listen, I Elijah knew something about the secret place before God listen about his pro listen about his Protege uh, Elisha the Bible says in 2 Kings 4 33 and he went in therefore and shut the door upon them twain and he prayed unto the Lord Elisha took similarly took a boy and went into hit the into into a chamber there and he shut the door behind him and I'm just trying to imagine what kind of door could that have been but he went in secret and he prayed to the Lord he poured out his heart the Lord Jesus Christ said but thou when thou prayest enter into thy closet and when thou hast shut thy door pray to thy father which is in secret and thy father which sees in secret shall reward thee openly Jesus Jesus was telling them because pharisaical praying likes to pray and open. The pharisaical praying wants to impress people with the eloquence of the words. And pharisaical praying likes to impress people by their posture. And pharisaical praying likes to impress people by their garments. But listen, secret praying gets alone with God. It's not about the words. It's about praying in the Holy Spirit. It's not about, it's not about the words. It's not about the time. It's about God and you. It's about your problem and the mighty God of heaven who can intervene. He went and he prayed in secret. I want to tell you tonight, beloved, if you don't have a secret place in prayer, Find that place tonight before you go home. His praying was in secret. Notice his praying was in sorrow. Verse 3, the Bible says, And Hezekiah wept sore. The heaviness of this announcement brought tears to his eyes. And if it was you, if it was me, we got the same report, we'd cry too. We'd cry too. He was shattered. He broke down and wept. Look at it again. He wept sore. He couldn't even talk. He was weeping. He was weeping so hard. He was besides himself. You could hear the wailing. David described it this way in Psalm 39, 12. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear unto my cry. Hold not thy peace in my tears, for I am a stranger with thee, and a soldier is all my father's war. Hosea describes it this way. He describes Jacob's praying as he was there at Peniel with the angel we saw there a few weeks ago. He says, Yea, he had power over the angel, and he prevailed. Notice, he wept and made supplication unto him. I'm tell you why, I'll tell you why Jacob got God's power. And I'll tell you why Jacob, Jacob's name was tamed from Jacob to Israel. He got a hold of God, and it wasn't because he prevailed in his wrestling. He prevailed because 
because of his tears, he wept and made supplication. And this ain't made supplication first. He wept. He wept and he made supplication. I'm going to tell you, we need an old-fashioned revision of our prayer time, of our secret place, where we get down alone with God and some tears flow over our sin and our tears flow over our city and our tears flow over sinners and our tears flow over our family and our tears flow over our church and our tears flow over our inadequacy and our tears flow over what we don't do and what we haven't done and we get burdened about the situation there. We need to have those old-fashioned tears once again. Hebrews 5, 7 says about the Lord Jesus Christ who in the days of His flesh when He'd offered prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears unto Him that was able to save Him from death and was heard in that He feared. God doesn't need our knowledge. He's the summation knowledge. Amen. God's not impressed with our eloquence because he gives the gift of speech. But God does pay attention to the tears. His praying was in secret. His praying was with sorrow. Notice his praying was with sincerity. Notice his prayer in verse 3. Remember now. O Lord, I beseech thee. In the Greek, it's the word prosukio. Prosukio means to beg, to plead. It means even as they come by, you grab them by the sleeve and say, please, please. I beseech thee how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart. I don't know about you. He wasn't blowing smoke. How I've walked before thee in truth. No lies. No pretension. No hypocrisy. And with a perfect heart. Fourteen years, he'd proven himself before God. More important than how he'd proven himself before people, he'd proven himself before God. God, I've walked in truth and with a perfect heart. God, I've tried to live my life. I believe he was epitomizing one of the essential and crucial elements of prayer that James 5.16 tells us. James 5.16 tells us the effectual, fervent prayer, listen, of a righteous man. This is a righteous man. You don't get righteous when the crisis comes. You better be in righteousness when the crisis comes. Amen? You notice this because Solomon went on to say something about that. Solomon said in Proverbs 15, 29, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he heareth the prayer of the righteous. First John 3, 22 says, When whatsoever we ask, we receive in him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. He backed up his praying by having said, I've lived in obedience to Mishka. Listen, he didn't pray a long, eloquent prayer. He didn't have to, he wasn't like a defense attorney trying to defend his client and making this long articulation. You know what he said? Remember now, O Lord, I beseech thee, how I've walked before thee in truth and a perfect heart. Lord, does it count? I've tried to be right. Does it count? I've tried to confess my sins. Does it count? I don't have anything I know of right now in my life between me and anybody else. I'm not in bitterness of soul. I'm not, I'm not in the bondage of iniquity and the, and the bondage of bitterness and these things. He says, does it count, dear God, that I've tried to walk in truth? I've tried to, I've walked before you with a perfect heart. God, does it count? Does, does all that count? I mean, do, would you take the count? Lord, he says, oh Lord, remember now, I beseech thee. Remember now, I beseech thee. Listen, he turned his face to the wall. He's praying in secret. He weeps sore. He's praying in sorrow. He's praying with sincerity. He's coming, broaching God with all the edge. Listen, he had nothing else to approach God with. By the way, when you are broken, and when you're at the end of your resources, and there's nothing left to do, and the last penny's been spent, and the last breath is about to breathe, the only thing you can hang on is you come before the holy, righteous presence of God is a life where there's a perfect heart that's been walking in truth before God. So we got to walk. That's all we can hang on. That's all we can hang on. That's why you ought to live for God, amen? That's why you ought to just decide today, I'm going to humble myself before God because the Bible says, humble yourselves there under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. That's why it's important for us to read our Bibles and pray our prayers and be right with God and love one another and stop the politicking and fighting around and the bitterness and the gossip and the criticism and just say today, God, I'm going to walk with you with a perfect heart before God. By the way, the psalmist David said, I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set no wicked thing before my eye. 
His praying was in sorrow. His praying was in secret. His praying was sincerity. But notice again verse 3. Would you notice this? Please don't miss this important part. Listen. He was praying for survival. Remember now. God, I need you now. What he's saying there is that, Lord, I'm praying for survival. Lord, I need, I need, I need life. He's serious what he's saying. Lord, I don't want to die. Lord, I'm too young. Lord, there's too much to do. Lord, please extend my years. I'm not sure. I got to look at it a little bit here, but I'm not, I think his son, Manasseh was just a little boy then. And he's saying, Lord, I, I just, it's too soon. 14 years has gone by quick. Now look at Heritage Baptist Church. 19 years has gone by quickly. Lord, it's too soon. God, you've got to give me more years. He's praying for survival. He's praying for more time. He's asking God to we'll give him the extended years. He's asking God to heal him of his cancer. Notice verse, if you go down a little further, we know that, that he had a problem because verse 21 says, Isaiah said, let them take a lump of figs and lay it for a plaster over the boil. Remember me. Lord, I want to live. Lord, I know it's good to depart from here to be passed from the body, praise the Lord, but Lord, I don't feel like you're finished with me yet here. Lord, if you let me live some more, I'll, I want to live for you. If you let me live some more, God, I'll glorify. If you give me many more years, Lord, I'll do all that I can for the glory of God. Lord, I don't want to throw in the towel yet. I don't want to abandon the kingdom yet. I don't want to abandon the work of God yet. Which I think the best days are still to come. Lord, would you give me many more years to live for you? That's that selfish praying. No, that's spiritual praying. He was praying for the glory of God to be, to be executed in his life there. You can pray for healing. You can pray for wellness. You can pray for God to intervene. Genesis 20, verse 17. So Abraham prayed unto God. God healed Abimelech and his wife, his maidservants, and they had children. They bear children. Exodus fifteen twenty six. we call on God and we call him Jehovah Rapha. Notice what he says there. And if thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God and will do that which is right in his sight and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee which I have brought upon the Egyptians. Now you have to understand the perspective of that. The Egyptians had every kind of communicable disease that you could think could be passed on. If you think we've got it bad in America today with STDs and all that kind of stuff, you don't know nothing. Just go back and read the annals of the Egyptian history and read about them. That's why God was telling them they stopped there at that point. God used that, that, that bitter water of Merah to get their attention, used it as an object lesson. and says, listen, if you'll obey me and you keep my statutes, you walk with me, I'll put none of these diseases that I put on Egypt, I'll put on you. And he wasn't just talking necessarily about the plagues. He's talking about the cancers, the heart attack. He was talking about all the, the different things they were dealing with, all the different corruption that was in their bodies. He says, I'll put none of these diseases upon you if you'll live here to my commandments, which I brought upon the Egyptians. And then he says this, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. I'm Jehovah Rapha. And you have to be there where Moses spoke those words to understand the powerfulness and potency of that. He says, I'm the Lord that heals. And by the way, he still is the Lord that heals tonight. David said in Psalm 6-2, Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am weak. Listen, O Lord, heal me. For my bones are vexed. Psalms 30, verse 2, O Lord, my God, I cry to thee, and thou hast healed me. Jeremiah seventeen fourteen, heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for thou art my praise. And by the way, I still claim Jeremiah seventeen fourteen every day for my wife. Her third cancer diagnosis, we're sitting there in the hospital room waiting. For whatever reason, there were delays. My Bible reading that day was going through the book of Jeremiah. got to jeremiah 17 great chapter but this verse jumped out of me that morning about 10 45 that morning i looked at i looked at my wife i said honey look at this i said i'm not sure what the news is going to be and i'm not sure what god's got in store but i'm claiming this heal me O lord and i shall be healed save me and i shall be saved for thou art my praise the nobleman look at the nobleman in john chapter 4 one of my favorite passages Verse 47, you heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee. 
he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. This man walked quickly for a minimum of 15 miles to get from Capernaum all the way down here to Cana of Galilee. Then said Jesus unto him, except you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, Jesus was testing. He wanted to see if this man was really for real. The man walked the distance to come to him for help. He came and besought him because he said his son was at the point of death. And notice the nobleman in verse 49. He said unto him, and I imagine tears coming down his eyes. He said, sir, which the word sir, sir is the same word we get our word Lord from. He said, sir, come down ere my child die. He said, please, Lord, I need you to do something. He said, I need you to come down. He said, I need you to come down right where I'm at. I need you to come meet me where I'm at right now. Sir, come down ere my son die. Lord, I need you right now. He said, Lord, I'm not going to live until you come back with me. I'm bringing you back home if that's what it takes. I want you to come back with me. I go, Sir, come down ere my son die. And that's the same thing Hezekiah was praying. He said, remember me now, O Lord. He said, Lord, I need healing now. Lord, I want extended years now. I want more years now. I want to be cured of this disease now. I want it now, Lord. I need it now. I'm not coming on the condition that I've walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart. He says, remember me now. And when he said that, he burst out in tears because he was broken and overwhelmed with his circumstance. He realized that's all he knew how to say. That's all he could muster up. But listen, it was the greatest prayer that was ever prayed. He didn't pray at one hour prayer. He didn't pray a two hour prayer. He didn't pray a ten hour prayer. He prayed a simple prayer that didn't even take 60 seconds, but it came from the depths of his heart and with the weeping of his soul. And God intervened in that man's life. Will God heal me? Should I pray for healing? And God always heals when it's according to His will and His way. For God's ways are not our ways, and His thoughts are not our thoughts. God will choose to do what will glorify Him most. When Hezekiah came to him, verse 3, you look it up later on. Look at it, verse 3 or 4. When he came to him, his prayer was basically saying, remember me now. Did you notice he didn't really give a condition how he wanted to be healed? Just remember me. He said, Lord, whatever, whatever's in your will, whatever's in your will, Lord, have your will done in my life. He had no idea what God was going to do. He's basically saying, Lord, my trust now in you is greater than it's ever been before. Remember me now, Lord. What do you want to do? But you notice... After his craving, would you notice verses 4 to the end of the chapter very quickly? Would you notice his confirmation? Then came the word of the Lord to Isaiah. Notice Isaiah comes to him. He comes with a broken heart. He announces to him, set thine house in order. You're not ready to meet God yet, but set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. And Hezekiah probably wept. He says that to his good friend, King Hezekiah. And Hezekiah, Isaiah made that announcement. Hezekiah turned around and he's going out the courtyard. Listen, Isaiah's many feet, several hundred feet out, out that door after this man is praying. He's out that door and he's out somewhere in that courtyard there in the temple there. He's walking, making his way back home. And the Bible says in verse five, I think it is, it says the word of the Lord, verse 4, the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. He said, Isaiah, stop. I want you to turn around, son. I want you to go back. I've got a new message I want to tell you to t- take to that man there. And notice his new message he gives in verses 4 through 6 is an accepted response. Go and say to Hezekiah, thus saith the Lord, the God of David, thy father. Listen, he's calling him back to what, what favors God did for David. He's thinking, tell him, as I begin this message, I want you to know what I did for David. I'm going to do for you. He said, listen to this. I love this part. I've heard thy prayer and I've seen thy tears. Isn't it a blessing when God tells you he's heard your prayer? Isn't it wonderful? You know, God has heard your prayer. And what a wonderful thing. God was so, so intimate and God was so loving and God was so merciful. I've heard thy prayer and I've seen thy tears. Let me tell you tonight, God sees the tears, the earnest tears of a believer. Behold, I will add unto thy days 15 years. Man, if God told him he gave him one year, I think he'd be happy. Amen. And when you're 39, now you, you be honest with me tonight. If you're 39, you can't even fathom being 50. Amen? <laughs> now, if you're 50, you can fathom going back to 39, right? Okay. But you're 39, you can't even fathom being 50. And at that moment in time, this man who's languishing on that bed, 
His face is against the wall, and the prophet Isaiah comes in. I don't even think he had a moment to turn his back around to look Isaiah in the face when this happened. Amen? And he comes in there, and he says, he says, listen, God sent me back here with a message. And he says, thus saith the Lord, I've heard thy prayers, I've seen thy tears, I will add in thy day 15 years. Listen, that is great. I'm going to give you 15. Hey, a dying man's last wish, remember me now. If God gave you 15 more years, what would you do with those years? And by the way, it did not erase or change what he told him in verse 1. He still had to set his house in order. That wake-up call was a reminder. You better get your house in order. You better set some things in place. You better be more than just making up a will. It better be more than thinking about who's going to get what. You better get, get beyond all that. You better be thinking about get your house in order, he says here. And I believe as he's doing this, watch this now, as Hezekiah is listening to Isaiah, and Isaiah's talking to him, I believe if you go down to verse 21, the Bible says, For Isaiah had said, Let them take a lump of figs and lay it for plaster upon the boil, and he shall, he shall recover. Now, someone just, my mother just gave some, uh, some figs to my wife. I was going to do this, but I didn't want to make a mess here, so, so I'm not going to do this. But here's what I believe he did. As he went in there, he, the, the prophet Isaiah went in there, and I think he got some of the servants as he became, he said, Hey, you got any figs here? Go, go outside that tree and grab some figs. They grabbed these figs, and they took it and literally they, they squished it out. They probably put it in a bowl, some kind of like a pester bowl, and they probably twirled it up. And what he did was he probably had him pull up his shirt. It was just all men present there and the servants. And he saw this protruding boil, this protruding tumor. I believe it was a cancerous tumor that he had. Some kind of, maybe it could have been a carso, carso, it could have been a sarcoma type cancer. And it's protruding out there. And he takes, as he tells him, I've got a word from God for you. I want to tell you, God says, he's heard your prayers. He's seen your tears. He's heard your prayers, seen your tears. And he says, I'm going to add to your days 15. And as he's doing so, I imagine Isaiah the prophet taking these figs and rubbing and smearing all over that boil. He's smearing it all over there. He said, was there any healing virtue in figs? Well, I know there figs are high in antioxidants, which is good for you. But I believe God was just telling him something. Listen, I'm going to choose to heal you whatever I want. You're not going to need a doctor in this situation. You just need the great physician to take care of you. Amen. And he smeared that, all of that, that stuff like baby food on a baby's face. Amen. You know. Spirit all over his abdomen, and he's probably thinking, man, that's feeling nasty and it's mushy and all this stuff. He didn't care about that. All he knew about it is that moment of time, the prophet of God was telling him, I'm going to add to your days 50 years. And then notice he gave him something on bonus. He gave him a bonus to that. Because all what, what probably stressed him out is what we're going to read in verse 6. What probably got him to that state where, by the way, if you're living under a lot of stress, stress is going to trigger cancer in your body. Get rid of your stress and get it before God. Amen. And he says here, by the way, I'm going to give you a bonus here in verse 6. He says, and I will deliver thee in this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. And I'll defend the city. I think this king got worried to death about the Assyrians coming back and another battle coming and about a new king that was on the throne because 185 had been killed. He's worried sick about all these things. He said, listen, I just want to tell you, I'm going to take care of all these things. Whatever triggered the cancer of your body and may have been stressed. He said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you a bonus. I'm going to, the king of Assyria, they're not going to bother you anymore. And man, talk about getting 15 years out of your life. He's now thinking, i got 15 more years and I don't have to worry about the Assyrians for the next 15 years. I'm going to have a kingdom of peace. He's thinking, man, I've got it. Man, I've got it good right now. God is so good. He's thinking right there. 15 more years. God answered his prayer. And I imagine as God, he started feeling well. That tumor started to subside and it was no longer visible. And listen, the languishing on his face was gone and the paleness had turned into colorfulness. And listen, what was weakness now became strength. And I can imagine a sickly old king turning his legs, his little bony legs out, out of that bed. And he gets out of the bed and the servants want to have him. He says, let go of me. I'm standing up on my own. And he says, I'm standing up by the power of God. Hey, bless God today. I went to see Brother Gene and I said, how are you feeling, Brother Gene? Because yesterday he wasn't feeling very good after the surgery. He was in a lot of turmoil and pain and things like that. But he said, praise God. First thing out of his mouth, he said, Praise God. God gave me strength for today. And then today, as I went to see him, he said, Pastor, you're going to let me go home today. And he says, I just tell you this. And he went, Praise the Lord. I don't know how to express it. Thank God for all the brothers and sisters that prayed. Thank God that God's on the throne and God's powerful. God gave me strength. God got me to do this situation here. And I believe that's exactly what this man did there. He turned his legs out of that bed. He stood up. And though he's probably a little wobbly there, he stood up. And he says, Praise God. God's given me 15 more years. Then would you notice an amazing reversal? He needed a sign. By the way, aren't you glad God knows how frail we are? And God gives us, sometimes he has to give us that extra confirmation. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever had that happen in your life? He gives you that extra confirmation. And this should be a sign unto thee. And it was for him, but it would have a trickle-down effect. This should be a sign unto thee from the Lord, that the Lord will do this thing that he has spoken. 
Behold, I will bring again the shadow of the degrees which has gone down in the sundial of Ahaz, ten degrees backwards. So the sun returned ten degrees, by which degrees it was gone down. Now, here's let me tell you real quick because of time. Here's what happened. His father Ahaz, as we know from the scriptures, had built this obelisk. An obelisk was a sundial. And the sundial's way would turn. It would, would go in the direction of the sun. It would go, would go in, a, in a clockwise direction. And so this obelisk or this sundial he had, God is telling us, I'm going to give you further testimony. I'm going to show you something that not only will you see, but will be a testimony throughout all the kingdom that the doctors didn't heal you and that some medicine didn't heal you. It was God that healed you and that God was in this matter here. And he says, here's what I'm going to do. The sign I'm going to give you is that the sundial that your father established is nothing for a sundial to go down to degrees it's nothing no no problem for it to go to continue going clockwise down 10 degrees but it's a different story no sundial goes counterclockwise back 10 degrees here's what i'm going to do i'm going to set the sundial 10 degrees back we're going to focus on the word degrees it's going to go back 10 degrees backwards it's going to go back and as he did so he's saying here's what i'm doing i'm turning the clock back for you you're getting more years you're getting more life you're getting more time i'm turning the clock back what god was saying i'm going to put a setback on the setback on your life Look at verse 7 and 8 again. You want to see how powerful this is? Because in your vain imagination, once you get well, you start skipping around and think, yeah, it was just luck. It's not luck. It was the Lord. You said it was a miracle. Yes, yeah, a miracle. But I like, to, I like to thank God for his mercies. Amen. In amazement. To this man and to whoever was looking at that obelisk, they saw something, the impossible become possible. They saw a sundial as the sun was going down. They saw the sundial go back 10 degrees. Amazing reversal. An amazing reversal. Back the other way. Well, this overcame him as he thinks about now God has given him this response. God has given him an accepted response. You're healed. Your prayer is answered. And God, God has shown him an amazing reversal. God has set the sun down back 10 degrees. Notice as we close tonight, God gives through him. God, Hezekiah gives us an attested record. God, Hezekiah, if you'll notice it from the rest of the chapter, oh, right here, beginning verse 9 to the rest of verse 30, 22, the remainder of the chapter and the bulk of the chapter doesn't deal with the healing of Hezekiah. It deals with the chronicles or the diary or the testimony of the record of what this man writes about what God did here. And I don't have time to go into all of it because it's great stuff here. You study for yourself tonight. But you'll notice from all, I don't know, about verse 9 to verse 9 to, oh, let's see here. All right, verse 9 to about verse 16. He talks about his dilemma. He talks about his illness. He talks about how bad it was. He talks about his situation. He sees that he said, he said in verse 11, I said, I shall not see the Lord, even the Lord in the land of the living. And he talks about, I shall go to the gates of the grave. I'm deprived of the residue of my years. He's saying at age 39, I will not see any more years. I'm deprived of the rest of my years. He said in verse 12, my age is departed and removed from me. Um, my life is like a weaver, like a weaver and all these things. And he talked about how bad things were. And then he, then he, as he does that, he's writing this in his diary. Then he talked about the goodness and greatness of God. Look what he says here. Verse 17. Behold, for peace I had great bitterness, but thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption. Thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. He said, Lord, you're good. You're better than I deserve. Lord, you're good to me. Lord, better than I deserve. Lord, you love me in spite of all of these things. I was in bitterness of soul. But God, you showed your love to me. You delivered my soul from the pit of corruption. You put my sins behind your back. He said, for the grave cannot praise thee, and death cannot celebrate thee. They that go down to the pit cannot hope for thy truth. And hey, you think this changes worship of God? I think from that verse it did. I believe he worshiped God with more fervency than he did in those previous 14 years. I believe he spent more time before God. He gave his life to the worship of God. Listen tonight, we need to give our lives to the worship of God because God alone is deserving of our worship. And then he said in verse 20, the living, the living, he shall praise thee as I do this day. He says, God, he said, people, just like Solomon said, he said, the, the dead cannot praise thee, but the living do. And then he said the statement, the father to the children shall make known thy truth. Now, I don't, as we look at them, we look at Manasseh, I want you to think about that verse. The father shall to the children make known thy truth. That's a good father's day sermon. And he's thinking about his young son, Manasseh. Man, I've got to let my son know about these things. That's why I tell you all the time, when God is doing something great in our church, you ought to tell your children so they write it down as a record what God's doing there. He said in verse 20, The Lord was ready to save me, 
He's saying before I even prayed, God was ready to save. He just wanted to see what I was going to do. Therefore, we will sing my songs to the string instruments all the days of our life in the house of the Lord. Now, I want you to underline this tonight and I'm done. He said, we will sing my songs to the string instrument all the days of our life. What's he talking about there? What's he talking about there? Well, Hezekiah was a psalmist. Did you know that? Hezekiah was one of the writers of what we call the songs, the songs of degrees or psalms of ascent. And the psalms of ascent are psalms 120 to psalms 134. And the Jews, the diligent Hebrews, they memorized those psalms. They memorized them as they walked up the stairs of the temple, as they would climb up one set of stairs, they would get up the one step and they would recite psalms 120. Then they'd get up to the next step and they'd recite psalms 121. And then they would get up to the next step and recite psalms 122. Well, very interestingly, out of 14 psalms, 10 of them are written by Hezekiah. They're called the Song of Songs. At that moment of time, the Holy Spirit is working this man's heart. And he says, we will sing my song to the string instruments all the days of our life in the house of the Lord. He's not talking just in his generation, but in generations to come. That I want our people and those who succeed me to remember how great God is. That I will lift up my eyes into the hills. For whence cometh my help, my help cometh from the Lord. You read those psalms and you cannot help but be excited and enthused. As you read all those ten psalms ascribed to Hezekiah what he's done there and it's called the song of degrees because it's in reference to the fact that God set the clock back 10 degrees to save his life so great was this miracle so great was God more than I should say the miracle we have Psalms 120 134 we will sing my songs in the house of the Lord as we close I think tonight Third John, verse 2. Would you turn there? That's not in your notes. You need to turn there. <clears throat> We're looking at a man who God reversed his health situation and healed him. We see a great prayer that he prayed. And I want to give you in Third John 2 a pastor's heart. For the congregation, he's to shepherd. John, at 90 years of age, maybe a little bit older, wrote this to the church at Ephesus. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. Now, I want you to think with me for that just a moment. His prayer for the believers at Ephesus is that they would prosper in physical health as he saw them prosper in spiritual health. It should not be said, listen, listen, it should not be said for anybody here that you're doing better physically than you're doing spiritually. Amen? You should be doing as well spiritually as you do physically. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. He prayed for health. But can I tell you this? He was in sound spiritual health when he prayed that prayer for healing. Maybe you're not sick tonight, but one day it's going to come. And the greatest thing we can get out of this tonight is to remember verse 3. He met God's condition, having walked in truth with a perfect heart. He wasn't in darkness. He was walking the light as he's in the light. This man's fellowship with God helped him at a critical time in his life. And your fellowship with God will help you in a critical time in your life when it meets the same conditions. If today was your last day, what would you ask God for? The dying wish, the last wish of a dying man. What would you ask God for if God told you to set your house in order for today you'll die? Our Father, tonight we think of the terminalness of death and the reality. And the silver lining, Lord, in this passage, the rainbow above the clouds, is, God, you heard this man's prayer. You said, I've heard thy prayer. I've seen thy tears. Not only healed him and added 15 years to his life, God, you took away the thread of the Assyrians from around the corner there. And maybe in the room, Lord, secretly, they're brothers and sisters who have health ailments they're struggling with. 
I pray tonight the Holy Spirit has put the spotlight on us. Help us understand the conditions of how God, we can pray and the mind of God can be changed. And the directive of God can be changed and can be altered. I pray tonight it would remind us this evening that how the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man does avail much. The importance of being righteous because the Lord hears the prayer of the righteous. Lord, would you help our weak and anemic prayer lives to meet your demands, being in secret, being in sincerity, having sorrow when it's needed. Would you help us tonight to recognize in our crises of life what you're trying to teach us? And maybe just even tonight, just the thought, this man was unpresentable. He was not ready to die at that moment. God said, set your house in order. Lord, all of us this evening have some things we need to set in order in our homes, some things in our marriages, some things as children, some things as parents, some things as single adults. Help us tonight to evaluate, to set thine house in order. Father, have your way the invitation time with, Lord, hearts that are sorrowful and repentant and seek you out. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Let's stand. As you make stand, you want to make your way to the altar. Just join us tonight as, the, as we have the invitation time. We invite you to come tonight. Let's find time before God. Maybe somebody you know has some great sickness that we need to pray for. Someone we need to pray for that needs our help. Might be in your own personal life that you need God's intervention there. The dying words of a dying man. What would you ask God for if you knew you only had one day left to live? What would you ask God for? And if he gave you 15 more years, what would you do with it? What do you do with your life? What do you do with your life? Let's meet God tonight. Father, as many are praying, and I don't want them to rush, Lord, but as many are praying right now, all of us are praying. Thank you for the gift of life. The Bible says every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights in whom there's no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Lord, help us to treasure our lives and to live our lives for the glory of God. Help many who may be struggling with that very thought to find victory in Christ and hope in the Lord and power through the Holy Spirit. And God, help us, Lord, as we can't go backwards. We can't retrace the steps, Lord. I, we're just asking tonight, as you, you give us many, whatever years you give us, to make the most of those years and that time for God. That even like Dr. Sis said, I'm going to live until I die. And Father, we pray this evening that you help us to approach these things. Help remind us, Lord, of our families especially that we keep that all in proper perspective, Lord, that our families, we must take into account, even he said, the fathers shall make known to the sons the truth of God. And I pray that you help us to just really be ingrained tonight from the life of Hezekiah as he, as he met this third crisis and realizing Jehovah strengthened him through this personal crisis of impending death. Now, Father, tonight, there are many that need your salvation, that need the grace of God. And, Lord, as we have opportunity this week, would you help us Lord, to let, let go of all of our restraints and put down all the excuses and make every effort the next 72 hours of praying and inviting and getting people to come, reminding those who have given commitments to be here. Would you help us with that tonight? Lord, would you use us for your glory? Even if they've said no many, more t- many times, help us to go to the well one more time and ask them again. Now, Lord, we pray for that this evening, that you might be glorified and pleased. I pray for this, Lord, of you in Jesus' name. Amen.